This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Open those Bibles back to Acts chapter 1 where we just read verse 3, if you will. I want to talk to you this morning. If you're visiting, we are in the book of Acts doing a study through the book of Acts. We make a joke every week that by the time we get to Acts 28, if we do, it'll be about 2072. So we should be there soon. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 1, but we're taking our time. It's the Word of God, and we're trying to break it out to understand what the Lord wants to say to us. And so Acts chapter 1 today, we've been reading it all week. Let me give you an encouragement. What you heard April just read, Acts chapter 1, we read a passage of Scripture all week long, one chapter from the Bible. The whole church does it together. We break up in Bible reading groups. We read the Bible together. And our chapter for this week is a doozy. It's going to stir up a lot of thinking 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So you can be reading that this week. We'll be discussing it as we move forward this week. So thank you so much for participating. And if you're in a Bible reading group, we thank you for that. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. For the next several weeks, until we can kind of land the plane, I want to talk to you about what is the kingdom of God. What is this thing? For years, I've tried to define it and reading different verses and scriptures to try to understand what the kingdom of God is, to make it simple for me where I can understand it. And, you know, I come with different, okay, I think it means this and this. But when I read that and it said for 40 days... Jesus talked to him about the kingdom of God. I always made a joke like, when I get to heaven, I want to ask Jesus, what is it that you told them for 40 days? And not one dude wrote it down. It makes me... <laughs> I don't know if Jesus told them, don't write this down. It's too important. I don't know if it's just men and not one man was thinking beyond the moment of maybe eating barbecue. I don't know. Now that they're free and they're no longer under the Old Testament, we can finally eat bacon. I don't know. But... Uh, I don't know what he talked to him about, and I often wonder. Somebody even asked me, what would you ask Jesus when you get to heaven? And I said, oh, that's easy. I want to know what he told him for those 40 days. And uh, But I want to try to take a few weeks anyway and give you my take on it from what I've worked out personally and how it affects my personal life, which will be my marriage, my children, and on through how I live my life is to understand this thing called the kingdom of God. It must have been so important that Jesus took over a month to talk about it. And so when I, you know, this week was thinking about it, I'm like, okay, well, what does it really mean? I just kind of felt it resonated in my heart. And what resonated in my heart was that the book of Acts is the definition of the kingdom of God. In those chapters, the next 28 chapters coming, we're going to have what the kingdom of God is. It is the outworking of the presence of God on our planet so that people come into the knowledge of God and it happens through me and you. 
So that's what I want to talk about today. But I want to do it in a way to help you understand what has to shift in your head for you to see the kingdom of God come to pass in your life. You remember the scripture prayer that Josh led us in during communion. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So even Jesus' prayer made the assumption that the kingdom of God was to work in my life on this planet. And, and then that brings me to the question, and you've heard me say it before in some of my frustrations about figuring out God, Jesus, this whole thing we talk about. We're often told that Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. He is the way. He's the hope. He's the life. He's the peace. We sang about that today. He's the joy. He's our peace. But then it makes us ask this question, if we're just being honest and we're not afraid to ask it, if He's all that we say He is then why are there so many discrepancies of what he is? Like if I say he's healing, why are there so many sick people? If I say he's peace, then why are there so many anxious people? If I say he's joy, why are there so many miserable people who claim to know him, who claim to love him, who know the stories about him, but it seems evident that what we hear about the kingdom versus what I experience in my personal life about the kingdom, sometimes there's just such a discrepancy, we can scratch our head and go, I don't even know if God's real. I mean, I do know He's real, but, oh, man, it, I do wonder sometimes. I wonder if it works. I wonder if prayer works. They tell me, you know, you've heard me say that before, that I'm always trying to figure it out. That's my nature. I'm sorry, and I apologize ahead of time. Uh, we were talking yesterday in the men's group about disappointment and uh, the disciples being on the hillside and Jesus disappearing and how disappointing that must have been. Like this is the biggest crowning moment and all of a sudden boom, he just leaves and you're like, oh, where did he go? I guess he'll come back soon. And we were talking about disappointment. And one of my personality traits is I like things to work. If things don't work, I just, man, I just like wig out. That's the best word I can give you. I was like Tasmanian devil. When things don't work. When it's supposed to do one, two, three, and it doesn't do one, two, three, I just get irritated. Whether that's cruise control in my car, air conditioning, whether the dog needs to go out and pee, but he won't. He just pees and then stands at the door. I'm like, oh, you're supposed to go to the door and then go to the back. I like things to work. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, that personality in me that likes it to work, I like it to be the same with God. I like it to work for me. When I pray, I want my prayers answered. When I give, I want it to come back. I want what I read in the Bible, I want it to work. And sometimes it doesn't work as easy as it seems like in here. It reads it, it works really easy. Faith the size of a mustard seed. And then I have to say, well, then I must not even have that much faith because it's not working for me. And then generally I get frustrated. Well, the beauty of that is you've come in at age 54. You should have hung with me when I was pastoring at age 28. Jesus, help me. But at age 54, I've had some time to grow a beard and work it out and figure, okay, I'm not as stressed about it as I used to be. And, realize, and that's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you how I've worked out the kingdom in my life when it didn't go the way I wanted. And I want to do it in a different way because Acts chapter 1 is a pivotal transition point 
for how we think about Jesus. You take everything before Acts 1 and the way they thought about Jesus versus Acts chapter 2 and on and the way they think about Jesus. And it is mind-blowing the differences in results. In the Gospels, pre-resurrected Jesus, pre-Gospel, pre-Acts 1 and the Gospel message of Jesus, you have guys that are arguing about where they're going to sit, who's in charge, trying to figure out the kingdom, chopping people's ears off, nervous about stuff. But then you get to Acts chapter 2 and it's like they got a B12 shot from heaven. It's like, thank God they're beating me up because this is worthy to be beaten. Thank God they're going to chop my head off and saw me in two. I count it an honor. You know, it's just like, I don't even get that. So there's something that happened in Acts 1 that shifted it to the point of two to 3,000 people getting saved in one day and then 5,000 more in the next week. We've said that before. What would happen in this building if 8,000 people showed up next week? We wouldn't have church in here. We would have church outside with a bullhorn. We you know, just matter, hey, back here in the back. You know, that's the best way we could do it. So what shifts? Well, I believe, this is my opinion, I believe that Judas Iscariot's life is the, is the pivot point of shifting how you think about Jesus. Until Judas Iscariot and his mentality is out of the way, we will never see the kingdom come like it needs to come. Otherwise, in Acts 1, why not just leave the turncoat out? Why do I have to put him in the story? We already know what he did. Leave him out. He did us all dirty. And then he finds himself in Acts 1 in this very pivotal book about the Holy Spirit's acts and now i got to deal with Judas. And you heard when April was reading it, she's like, Ugh. you know, his whole body explodes. The story goes, he hung himself on a hillside. But because of Jewish tradition, nobody wanted to touch a dead body because you would be unclean. So he hung there so long that his body decayed. And like any decay in a hot sun, he swole up. And when he swole up, his insides just bust out. His head fell off. He fell to the ground and bust open. Don't you love that story? That's a great testimony of a disciple of Jesus. So the question becomes, he is in this story and then they say something. We have to choose a replacement. Watch, this is important. We cannot move forward with the kingdom until we settle this Judas Iscariot issue. He's dead and gone, but we still got to pick somebody to take his place. Because we can't move the kingdom forward until we fix this thing that Judas Iscariot did that has to be remedied so now we can move in Acts 2 and see the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. So Judas Iscariot, to understand what is that mentality that has to shift, what is that thing that has to die, turn to Matthew 26. And I want to talk to you about the Judas Iscariot mentality of the kingdom. And what has to begin to change in our lives in verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 now, verse 1. 
Very early in the morning, the leading priest and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. And they bound him and led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priest and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. And Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. The leading priest picked up the coins. It wouldn't be right to put this money in the temple treasury, they said, since it was payment for murder. After some discussion, they finally decided to buy the potter's field and they made it into a cemetery for foreigners. That's why the field is still called the field of blood. This fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah that says they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price at which we was valued by the people of Israel, and they purchased the potter's field as the Lord directed. Why is Judas the pivotal character to move forward? To fulfill his place, to replace him. What can I learn from this Judas guy? Here's what we know. He walks three years with Jesus. He hears every message, every sermon. To be an apostle, according to what we read in Acts 1, you had to have been with Jesus from baptism on. You had to know about him. So what we can assume about Judas, since he was one of the twelve, Iscariot, he was with Jesus the whole time. He didn't linger in one weekend and say, I think I might follow you. He was there the whole time. He heard every message. He saw every miracle. He was part of everything he did. He took communion with Jesus. He ate the bread. He drank the wine with Jesus. He was there. But what we know about him is even though he participated in everything else, he never could bring himself to end with a good testimony. Even though he was there, the kingdom never came about in his life. Even though he heard what he needed to hear, the kingdom never came about in his life. Even though he saw the miracles, the kingdom never came about in his life. And here's what happens. Three years of following the Lord and his end result is a cemetery. That's all that's left of it. Everything you've done is nothing but a field of death. And as I pondered that this week, it reminds me a lot of Christianity today. That we just have performed in a place that the end result is just a cemetery. There is no life. Sometimes it's even hard to tell the difference between a church service and a funeral service. We dress up for both. A preacher preaches both. We, we just have faster music in one and sad music in the other one. We walk out the door, we're the same. We take our clothes off. We paid our homage to a dead person. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. I'm assuming you have. But we lay them out. We talk about how awesome they are, how incredible they are. And then we say something about uncle so-and-so. And then everybody comes up and pays homage. And then we go out the door, take our tie off and go, well, we, I'm going to miss him when he goes. I think that's a lot of church. We show up. We talk about a dead guy that's alive. We lay him out in front of everybody. We ask you to parade in front of him and talk about how wonderful he is. We sing a few songs. We send you out the door and off we go. But it never changes life. 
Let's just be honest with each other. If Jesus is the hope, if Jesus is the joy, if Jesus is the life, if Jesus is the healer, then why are we sick? Why are we depressed? Why is there no joy? Why is my marriage broken? Why am I still addicted? If we say he's all of this stuff, either he is the stuff or he's not the stuff. But doesn't it make you go for telling everybody he's the only way, he's all of this, then why the discrepancy? Why am I sitting here singing the songs, but all I see is death? Marriages are still broken. Everything It's because, this is just my take, it's because the, the Christian mentality has never left the Judas Iscariot way of thinking. And the Judas Iscariot way of thinking about Jesus is you can know every story, see every miracle, know everything he did, watch him and be with him, rub shoulders with him, eat out at a campfire with him, eat some fish with him, watch all the good stuff, know everything, can talk to the best people about him. But at the end of the day, there's no life in you at all. There's no kingdom in you at all. Nothing is changing at all. And that's the story of Judas Iscariot. The story of Judas Iscariot is it ended in a funeral in a cemetery. So it makes me wonder, then, what was his mentality? Why was he the only one of the twelve that, that hung himself? Were the others not as disappointed? Did the others not have reasons to be, well, kind of nervous? What, what about the thirty pieces of silver gave him so much regret? What about the money that he took? See, here's my take on Judas. I genuinely don't think he thought it would turn out the way it did. I think when he went to the, to the priest and said, Hey, what will you give me for him? And they're like, How about 30 pieces of silver? Dude, you're on. Hand it to me. All right, I'll meet you out here in the garden. The dude I kiss will be the guy I trade out. So he comes to the garden and he betrays him. And they, they, you know the story, if you don't know the story, but the story is they lead him off and they take him away. And I'm just 100% convinced Judas is thinking, this is going to be a great weekend. I'm going to get to go on a cruise with my wife. I'm going to get to buy a new camel. I'm going to get some new straw on the top of my roof. I might even put down some tile on my dirt floor. Might even put a new hinge on the outside of my barn. I got 30 pieces of silver. And they lead him off and they go and they beat him and he's watching him being beat and I guarantee you the whole time he's watching Jesus being beat he's like, okay, any time now. You work your magic like you've always done. Every time they try to get you, you disappeared. You walked off a hillside. I mean, you, you got to help a brother out now. And I think about, about the 30th lash, I think he's probably jiggling his 30 pieces of coin going, okay, any time now, you know, you got to do what you've always done. Come on. Perform for us. Do what you've done. Work your magic. Walk on water. Do something. They're really hurting you here. It's hurting me. Jingle, 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 jingle with his 30 pieces of silver in his pants. Then they beat the crown of thorns on his head. Oh, God. Ooh. Okay. What? I, oh, man. I bet whatever he's going to do, this is going to be incredible. Come on. Work your magic. Do what you did before. Disappear like you did that time. Do something. Cast the devil out. Work a miracle float. Come on, Jesus. Perform for me. Come on. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Then they hang him up on a cross. And I guarantee you from somewhere on a hillside, my opinion is he hears the thing. Hey, if you can save anybody, save yourself. Don't you know he's probably up on the hillside? Jingle, jingle. Yeah, come on. Save yourself. This is the big chance. We can take over the world. And then Jesus dies. 
And suddenly he realizes that the opportunity in his pocket for Jesus to perform for him was nothing but a curse. And he runs back to the temple and he throws the money on the floor. He says, take it back. I don't want it. I I should have never done that. I didn't know it was going to turn out that way. I had no idea. And they look at him like, dude, that's not our problem. That's your problem. I'm so sorry. And he goes out and hangs himself. The sad part of that is he never got to see the resurrected story. So Judas becomes the pivotal point. Judas becomes the money in the story because the pivotal point to understand what has to shift It's not just the disciple because there's 12 of them. It's it's what was going on in his brain and it's the money that was paid that's the pivotal point because the amount of money that's paid is the thing that has to shift in the way we think about Jesus. Exodus chapter 21. And I'll tell you what the money meant and the thing that has to shift in all of our brains as Christians if we really want to see the kingdom of God go forward. It is the most, I made a joke in the first service, I will never try to repeat a joke because it never goes well, but this is the weirdest chapter. It's a chapter about a bunch of laws and a bunch of rules given about how to live and act when things don't go well, and we pick up middle of the story, and we pick up reading about an ox. What happens when somebody has an ox? Verse 28 Praise God, this will probably apply to no one in the room because you don't own an ox. But if you do own an ox, please pay attention because it's a matter of life and death. All right, so if you have an ox and I don't know about it, you might want to slip out. That's all I can say. Verse 28. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox must be stoned. And its flesh may not be eaten. In such a case, however, the owner will not be held liable. But suppose the ox had a reputation for goring. In other words, there's a sign on your fence that says, Caution, goring ox. You will be gored. So that's the kind of ox. It's probably got a demon. But suppose the ox had a reputation for goring and the owner had been informed but failed to keep it under control. If the ox then kills someone, it must be stoned and the owner must also be put to death. Gotta love the Bible. Your ox kills somebody, we kill you. That's why nobody bought oxes back then. They they were very low as pets. Could you imagine walking into a pet store to get an ox and you're like, yeah, I'd like to buy an ox. I'm like, oh, dude, man, we don't sell many of those. Well, why not? I don't know. Here's the waiver. you got to sign your life away, right? Like, you're going to die for the ox. Now, listen, here it goes. It gets better. Verse number 30. However, the dead person's relatives may accept payment to compensate for the loss of life. The owner of the ox may redeem his life by paying whatever's demanded. In other words, if my ox kills Josh sitting over on the front row, our communion specialist today, and my ox gores him to death, his wife Lizzie can come to me, according to Old Testament law, and have me killed. But she also could say, hey, rather than killing you, I want payment for my husband. 
And then I say, okay, how much? And she says, well, $9. And I say, praise God, I can afford that. And Josh said, that's about how much he was worth. But that's all I got, bro. So I can't, either she's going to kill me or she can have a $10 bill. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, she can request, according to this law, she can request payment. Let's say she wanted a year's worth of salary. I would have to pay for Josh or I myself would have to die. So is everybody getting the point that this thing with an ox is a pretty brutal law for some weird reason? Verse 31 will tell us the reared, reared, the reared reason why. I like that, the reared reason. So here comes the reared reason, all right? The same regulations applies to an ox if it gores a boy of girl, verse 32. But if the ox gores a slave, either male or female, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 silver coins and then the ox must be stoned. I want you to just stare at that a moment because this is a prophetic picture of Judas Iscariot, Jesus, and the priest. But if the ox gores a slave, the animal's owner must pay the slave's owner 30 pieces of silver. Jesus came in the Jewish tradition and Judas Iscariot received 30 pieces of silver for Jesus because the mentality of Judas Iscariot was this and it's why this has to change to move the kingdom forward. In Judas Iscariot's mind and in the priest's mind Jesus Christ's value was that of a slave. And the value of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. And so when they walk in and they give him 30 silver coins and he puts them in his pocket, it was a declaration from the priest who gave the money to the person who's going to trade the guy out of we understand what's going on. You are the owner of the slave you're about to trade out and we're going to give you 30 pieces of silver to trade him out so we can gore him. That's what the plan is. To our mind, it's this 30 pieces of silver. Wow, yay, it must have been a good amount of money. To the Jewish mentality, to those that were brought up under the law, to those who knew the law of Moses, to trade someone out for 30 pieces of silver was to make a declarative statement, the person I'm trading out is not a king, he's not everything you say, in my mentality, he's nothing more than a slave. Even though I've walked with him, I've seen his miracles, I've watched his mojo, I've seen his power, I've heard him speak, he speaks with authority, the mentality of me is he's a slave. His value to me is no more valuable than that of a slave. Therefore, pay me the money and you can do what you want to do with him. I own him. That's where the money went. The money went to the owner of the slave. So though you and I just think Judas is trading him out for some pocket change in the system of what's going on, it was about ownership. Judas Iscariot owns Jesus Christ. Judas Iscariot owns everything Jesus does. I am the slave owner. You do what I tell you to do. And he trades him out. And this mentality is still in the minds of a lot of Christians today. I want to put our graphic up that we have for 
the book of Acts. It is a mentality of performance. It is a mentality that says Jesus has to do everything for me. Come here, Josh. I'm going to borrow Josh. It's the mentality of a slave owner. I come to Jesus and I say, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. They told me to do so. I had to request you into my heart and I had to say, be my Lord and Savior. And they told me that you would be my Lord and Savior for no cost at all. And so therefore I make him Lord. But the Judas Iscariot mentality, the Judas Iscariot mentality calls him Lord. I've walked with him three years. Calls him Savior. I know what he did. Knows about all of his miracles. But my mentality is he is my slave. So I give him the butler option. I welcome him in my life and I say, this is Jesus, Lord and Savior. And I call him Lord and I call him Savior, but I still treat him like a slave. Hey, Jesus, I need you to go over here and help me hit every red light. Thank you so much. Come back when you've done so. Hey, Jesus, come here. I need you to do something. I need you to go over there and fix my wife. Thank you so much, Jesus. Hey, wait a minute, Jesus. Listen, I've got an interview tomorrow at work. And I really need the promotion. So I need you to go talk to him. Thank you. Just come back when you're done. Thank you. Oh, thank God for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, come here a minute. Listen, I've been having a headache and my sciatica is hurting. If you could do something about my sciatica, I would appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, and by the way, my kid is failing chemistry. If you could help my child with chemistry... I would appreciate it. Thank you, Jesus. You can go do all that for me now. Oh, wait a minute. Wait. I'm so sorry. Listen, I'm not going to be around for about the next three weeks. i got a lot going on. I'm busy, like crazy busy. Listen, I've got the app, so I'll still give some. But if I need you, I need you to be ready anytime I call you. Like, I'm going to be out of pocket. i got to fly places. i got stuff. My job is driving me crazy. But listen, if you could be there at a moment's notice, like I'll text you, I'll call you, and I just need you as soon as I text. I mean, I'm thinking about you, but as soon as I text, I need you to just come. I need you, man, I need you to be there. I'll be back in about three weeks in your house. Take care of your house. I'll be thinking about you while I'm gone. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Oh, gosh, I almost forgot. Listen, (laughs) we're really wanting to buy a house. If you could give us favor with that house, that would be an honor. Thank you so much, Jesus. I appreciate it. Hey, if I need you, I'll call you. When I call you, I need you to be there for me. Thank you. That's 90%, I believe, of most Christianity. He's nothing more than my slave. He has to answer every prayer. I keep him on a bell. I ring him when I need him. I text him when I want him. I call him when I'm falling apart. I want him to fix everything for me. Answer the door. Fix my back. Fix my eyes. Fix my kid. Fix my car. Help me. Heal me. Bless me. Give me joy. Thank you, Jesus, my butler. Thank you, Jesus, my little slave that does everything I want. And by God, let me tell you, if you don't do what I want, hand me my napkin back because you're probably not God. You're probably not even the Lord because I asked you to fix my marriage and you didn't. I asked you to give me my job and you didn't. I asked that I would get the promotion and I didn't. I asked that you would let my dad come back to my mom and he divorced her anyway. You didn't do that either. I also asked that you would heal me of migraines and you didn't do that either. 
everything I ask you to do, you never do it. I don't even know why I believe in you. Everybody says you're real. I would appreciate it. And then all of a sudden, I'm agnostic. I'm an atheist now. I don't even believe he really exists because he's not being the slave that I need him to be. And if he's not the slave I need him to be, he's probably not even worthy to be who he says he is because I need him to answer everything. I need him to get me when I ring the bell. I need him to answer me on the text. I need him to come every time I tell him to come. I need him to be here. And when you're not here, it proves you're not real. It proves you're nothing more than a figment of people's imagination and you're just religious. And that's the whole reason I just can't sell my soul to you because you did me wrong. I ask you to heal my mother and you didn't heal my mother. I ask you to help my kid and you didn't help my kid. And that is the most of the Judas Iscariot mentality. Walking around knowing the Easter stories, knowing all of the Bible verses, knowing all of the songs, but it's nothing more than a performance-based Jesus. All the stuff Jesus does for me, all the stuff He tap dances for me, He sings for me, He's at my beck and call. He does everything I ever ask Him to do. And if He doesn't, I'm probably irritated, ticked off, and mad, and upset. He's probably not even there. He didn't come through when I needed Him to come through. It's the performance mentality. I'm not talking about your performance. I'm talking about you wanting Him to perform for you. It's what Judas did. Give me the money for my slave. Now you go do. You go ahead and go now. You go with them. Because we all know you're going to come back and perform for us. You're going to come back and take the kingdom. You're going to come back and take over Rome. We all know you're a good performer. Go do what you do. I'll wait on you with my money. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over 30 years of pastoring who are upset and mad at God because He didn't do everything they required of Him to do. With money in their pocket, wanting Him to be the slave. And maybe today it's why we don't see the power that we want to see. We don't see the life that we want to see, the joy that we want to see. Because as I'm in love with Jesus, I'm really just in love with the fact that he's a good divine butler. He came for free. Bless you. You didn't charge a thing. Thank God for grace. I love you, Jesus. Grace, grace, free, free, free. But listen, I know you came free, but don't be cheap. I mean, help a brother. I need. I gave five in the offering. I need to get ten back. Help me. Whew. Preacher said, if I give whatever measure, I get back. I gave ten. I need twenty back. Oh, you're good. Oh, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's every Sunday. And then I'll be back. Listen, statistics say if you come more than once a month, you're good. I'll see you next month. And then off I go. Monday. Oh, God, life's falling apart. Jesus, 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 come help me. Mentality of a slave. But I want to teach you what shifts in Acts 1. Once we bury Judas on a hillside, once the intestines spill out, once we realize that Jesus isn't a slave, he's a savior. Once I realize he doesn't work for me, he doesn't perform for me, and I bury that on a hillside and I put it in a cemetery, and I go, I will never allow Jesus to be my slave. 
And now I turn and I start moving toward the kingdom. And I start progressing. What is real kingdom? Real kingdom is he's not my slave. Real kingdom is he doesn't work for me. Real kingdom is he's worth more than what a slave could be worth. So you say, then what is he? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is a shepherd. He is a great I am. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Nisi. He's Jehovah Mkadesh. He is the all in all. Everything revolves in him, through him, and around him. He was before anything was, and he will be around before anything ever ends. He is the beginning and the end. He holds everything together. And I come to him not with a performance mentality, but I come to him with a presence mentality. I shift Judas. I die to Judas Iscariot. I say, no, he doesn't work for me. And I walk over and I say, God, God, forgive me. Forgive me because I've always wanted you to work for me. I've always wanted you to answer my prayers and tap dance for me and fix me and help me and heal me and bless me and do all of that stuff for me. Oh, Jesus, I repent. I take, I take the, the cloth and all I want to say, I'm here to be your slave. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to say whatever you want me to do, I will do it. However you speak to me, I will listen. Whatever you want out of me, I'm at your beck and call. I am not my own, but I am yours, and you are mine. And when I pray that, he moves in my life, and all of a sudden he's on the inside of me so much you can't even see him anymore because he dwells in me. And when I wake up, rather than praying, slave Jesus, fix me, help me, bless me, do all of the stuff for me, 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 me. Prove to me you're alive. Rather than praying that, I wake up and I go, Jesus, my Lord, I'm your slave today. I am Mark Evans, and I'm on this planet to work for you. Tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. Show me where I'm to go, and I'll go. Ask me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. And then I wait, and I listen. Go and give to the poor. Yes, Jesus. I'll do that. And I go and I begin to work for him. And then I come back and I say, Jesus, I did it. What else do you want me to do today? I'm yours. Talk to me, Jesus. What can I do? Be a witness to the lost. Okay, oh God, I don't want to do that. Uh, all, right. all right, I can do it. I can do it. And I go and I become a witness to the lost people. I wonder why we don't even witness anymore. I wonder why there's no miracles anymore. Because I want him to be my slave. I don't want to run back to him and go, oh, that was awkward. Oh, talking to people about you that I don't even know. Yeah. Oh, but I'm your slave. Tell me something else and I'll do it. Anything you want me to do for you, Jesus, I'll do it. Go tell your wife you're sorry. Oh, it's her fault. <laughs> oh, it's her fault. It's her fault. But I'll do it because I'm your slave. Honey, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I'm so Okay, Jesus, do you understand the difference? Thank you, Josh. Give Josh. They're still broken. Maybe it's why we're still addicted to stuff. Maybe it's why life doesn't go like I want it to go. Because I came in with the American Judas Iscariot mentality of religion that Jesus is my everything and he fixes everything and he's my slave. And when he doesn't, I'm ticked, I'm mad, and I'm pouting. And I might come every once and so often to his house to throw him a five, to tip him. I'll give him a little tip for his help. I'll give him a little praise on Facebook. I bet that blesses him. Let me tell you what he did for 
me. Right? I mean, he probably wants that. He's probably up in heaven going, I wish you would tell people how, how I serve you all the time. I wish you would just get out there and tell everybody how I just gave you that new car. I love it when you tell me, tell everybody how I'm your slave, Mark. Tell everybody, hey, get out there and tell everybody how you got another $100 bill for me. Go ahead, that'll probably inspire more people to think I'm their slave too. Oh, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Oh, this is so good, so good. And then about eight weeks in, Jesus hadn't done anything for you, and you're over there posting, oh, God, I need help now. I don't even know if he's here. I don't even know if he's real. I don't, I'm just struggling. Help a struggling brother. Because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. And I wonder how much life would change if I woke up and said, you never have to do another thing. You did all you needed to do on the cross. And now it's my part to do my part. You did everything for me that day. And now I take you off the slave block. And I put myself on the slave block. And I call myself your bond servant. And I say that I am yours. And I belong to you. And whatever you bid me to do, if you but say it, I shall do it. If it's awkward, I will do it. If it's out of my comfort zone, I will do it. If it doesn't sit well with me, I will do it. If it costs me more than I can afford, I will do it. If it makes me apologize, I will do it. Ask for forgiveness, I will do it. Whatever you want your slave Mark to do, I will do it. Tell me what to do, King Jesus. I think a lot of times we want him to keep doing it and he's already done it all on the cross and now he's just looking at you going, take me off the slave block and put yourself up there and watch what will happen when you start coming to me and letting me use you. Let me use your hands. Quit asking for my hand. Let me use your hands. Quit asking for my mouth. Let me use your mouth. Quit asking for me to bless you. Why don't you become a blessing? And when that happens, the kingdom of God starts exploding. The kingdom of God becomes alive. Joy comes in me. He's with me all the time. He walks with me. Anybody remember that one? Come on, sing it with me. And he walks with me and he talks with me. He tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. None other has ever known. You know that old hymn? What if that's what's missing? What if church is boiled down to a theological belief that Jesus works for us? Rather than going, I work for him. I wonder how many more people would get healed. I wonder what would happen at your business if you showed up knowing you work for Jesus rather than he works for you. Rather than praying, God, would you give me the promotion? And you started praying, God, I could care less about a promotion. I need you to tell me who to talk with today here because there's probably people that don't even know you. And I know if I, I won't even worry. I hear if I seek your kingdom, the promotion will follow me. God, use me today. Use me today. God, use my life today. And yet what I'm finding out, me included, I'm not just preaching. I'm, I'm talking to me too. I've had to read Acts 1 myself. I have found out that really the thing that holds that back is we believe it, but we're afraid. Because, oh man, that means i got to get out of my comfort zone. It means, well, don't you think he got out of his comfort zone a little bit? Well, get out of yours. 
God, use me today. Here's what I pray. For those of you that have been here a while, you know it. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And if anyone comes across my path today that needs you, may I ever be so bold to lead them to you. Next week, we're going to continue talking about the kingdom coming to pass in your life. But if you don't die to this Judas Iscariot mentality, and you don't let the intestines spill out, would you find on the computer Galatians 2.20? Get ready to pull that up. If you don't let that spill out, and let all of that go, and step into a new relationship of presence rather than performance, He's with me. He's in me. He talks with me. And I'm His servant. Galatians 2.20, this is what it says. I am crucified. My old self has been crucified with Christ. I love this line. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not you that's living, it's Christ living in you. That's the beauty of this thing. And that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God becoming a reality in your life is to stop and say, He doesn't work for me. I work for Him. Lord, I love it. What would you have me do? You're going to find that in Acts 9 when Saul meets him. Lord, what would you have me do? Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Here's what I ask you to look in your heart today. Are you that person? I've been that person. I've given Jesus extra towels to serve me before. I've given him a litany of requests. Do this, fix this, help this, change this, rearrange this, talk to this person, do that. Hey, and come back and report in, Jesus, and let me know how you're doing out there representing me. I need you to go represent me really well. That's what I used to think about Christianity. That Jesus represented me. And then, you know, just through life and trials and reading the word and growing up, I finally took him off the slave block. And I thought, you know what? He doesn't serve me. I serve him. And it's a joy to serve the Lord. Now, Lord, what do you want Mark to do? Oh, and he does talk. He's spoken before and asked hard things of me. He's asked me to give away things that were really precious to me before. He's asked me to forgive some people that I probably wouldn't have forgiven if he hadn't asked me. He's asked me to do things out of my comfort zone, to pray for people, random strangers at times. But every time I take him at his word, and every time I say, God, if you can use anything, use me, and, and I let him do that, I experience the most great joy and the most fulfillment like my day ends better because I realized I have worked for God today. I didn't just work for myself. And He didn't just work for me. I worked for Him and His kingdom. And when you do that, Matthew 6 says, He will add all things together. And He will make sure that you're not lacking a thing when you seek the kingdom of God. I want you to look inside your heart today. And if you need to repent, it's a simple prayer. And I'm not telling you you can't ever ask anything from Jesus. He even says, ask me. But it's a different kind of asking than him being a slave to you. But today, for this moment, 
Does that mentality have to change in you? Are you frustrated that he's not tap dancing just right for you? He's not done everything you've wanted him to do at the right time? Well, why not this week you just wake up every day and say like I say, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. If you can use anything, use me. And then at the end of the week, let's just see if your week went any better. Yeah, Mark, but what about my husband, my wife, my marriage, my job, my money, my kids? Okay, we're not denying that there's issues there. But what if you just woke up every day and said, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. Whatever you have me do, tell me. I'm yours today. And I guarantee you by the end of the week, you'll see things start shifting. Why? For seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. There's no need to worry anymore. When you work for Him, there's no need to worry. When He works for you, you'll be perpetually frustrated. And I thank you for that, Father. Now, if that's you, it's a simple fix. Lord Jesus, forgive me of treating you like a slave. Lord Jesus, forgive me of being upset when you didn't respond to every beck and call. Lord Jesus, come into my life today and I'm here to serve you. And now everybody pray this prayer after me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And if anyone today comes across my path that needs you, may I ever be so bold to lead them to you. I pray you pray that every day. Hey, I love you. I bless you. Chris, myself, Josh, we're here if you need any prayer. Please come up and let us pray for you. I bless you. Ladies, I'll be praying for you all week. It's going to be a great week. Come out expecting God to do some great things this weekend. I'll see you next Sunday as we continue talking about the kingdom. I hope that blessed you today. Have a great day. Be blessed. I'll keep you covered in prayer. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 